0: Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to
1: hear. Please remain standing. The scripture for today is Galatians 5, the New Revised Standard Version. I'm reading the 1st and the 13th to the 25th verses. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. God. Please be seated.
0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. When I was seven years old, in second grade, I came home from school and told my parents, I want to play the violin. Now let me tell you, there is a special place in heaven for parents who say yes to this request. I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but they endured years of listening to me practice, which for many years there in the beginning sounds more like a saw on a piece of metal than it does like actual music. They attended recitals and orchestra concerts, those dreaded solo days where they spend a Saturday morning listening to child after child come forth and squeak her way through elementary versions of Bach and Mozart. My elementary school started a partnership with the Suzuki School where teachers came into our classrooms and taught us lessons for free. The Suzuki method is a way of learning to play an instrument that focuses on starting children out when they are very young, before they can read. You learn to play by ear and by memorization before you can even read, and the learning to read music comes much later. They usually start out with children as young as three. At seven, I was actually quite old to be beginning to play an instrument. Each week you go to a private lesson with a teacher where your parent is also. You attend a group theory class with your peers. You learn to clap the rhythms together. You learn to read the lines and uh, the spaces on the treble and bass clef by learning clever songs to help you memorize them. You listen to the pieces that you're playing so that you can begin to absorb them and play them by ear. And then you also commit to practice on your own every single day your parents there with you, you start with scales and then you move to playing the pieces and it's very methodical. So you play one piece and then you move to the next piece. Once you've mastered it, you move all the way through one book. So you finish volume one and then you move to volume two and do the first piece there and the second piece there. Once a month, there were Saturday classes where you workshop the pieces with your peers and other teachers, and you listen to the playing of those who are more advanced than you were and were playing the upper pieces. Once a year, there were those dreaded solo days and two times a year recitals where we finally performed everything that we had been practicing all year long. I enjoyed playing the violin. I'm forever grateful that I had that experience for what it taught me and how it shaped me. But I have to tell you that one of the great sadnesses of my life is that I have zero natural musical ability. I love music, I appreciate music deeply, but it's not a language that comes easily for me. I have a terrible singing voice. In fact, one of my deep fears is that um, I won't be muted when we start singing the hymns, and I'm going to sing out How Great Thou Art greatly out of key for all to hear. Nevertheless, though, I persisted and I practiced. As I got older, I moved away from just the solo practicing and solo performing of my childhood and began to join orchestras as a youth, my school orchestra and the local youth symphony orchestra. I still practiced my parts at home. I had private lessons, but I also practiced the violin then with my full violin section and then the whole orchestra together, adding our sounds to one another's individual parts. Practicing wasn't always easy. It wasn't always my priority. In fact, one day when I was nine, I got so frustrated that I actually threw my violin across the living room and the bridge popped out, that wooden piece that holds the strings on, and the strings went flying across my living room. It was not my finest moment. Again, God bless my parents. But nevertheless, I persisted and I practiced. You all know that old joke, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. If I were to give a title to today's scripture lesson, Paul's letter to the community in Galatia, I would call it, How Do You Experience Freedom in Christ? Practice, practice, practice. Paul is writing to a church in conflict. Imagine that. I don't know if it makes me feel better or worse, but the church has basically always been in conflict since its very beginning. It's as if it is in our DNA as followers of Christ. This particular argument that he's addressing is whether they need to abide by the law, and if so, which ones? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, and how do we live that out every day? Some wanted to live to the Jewish laws of their ancestors, which shaped them. And they wanted the Gentiles, who were now part of this community, to join them in doing the same—circumcision, keeping kosher, etc. You had another faction that was arguing that freedom in Christ means that we should be able to do whatever we want. There was a faction who believed that our spirits were very different from our bodies, from our flesh— And because our spirits ultimately rise with Christ, we might as well just do whatever we want with these bodies while we're here. Paul's answer here in our lesson strikes a balance. He says, we are no longer rule-bound by all of the Jewish laws so that we can be hospitable and welcoming to those who aren't coming from this Jewish background. The covenant with the Jews, God's covenant with the Jewish people, is still God's covenant with those Jewish people. But through Christ, by grace, the rest of us are now grafted into that covenant, and there's a new covenant for those who follow Christ, and a new and a different kind of law. But then he also says to those who want to just live without any kind of rules, he says there is a law in Christ, and it comes from the Jewish law, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we truly do this, love God by loving ourselves and loving our neighbors, we can't live our lives as if our actions don't matter, as if what we do with our bodies here on earth doesn't make a difference for us and those around us. We must live and we must act out of love. That's the rule. That's the law. So freedom in Christ isn't a freedom to do whatever we want. It's quite the opposite. It recognizes that in all that we do, we must live lives of love. Because we are free in Christ, we are freed up from being selfish. We know that what we do and who we are has an impact on others. It has an impact on our world. And that impact can be for the better or it can be for the worse. We can spread love or we can spread hate. We are freed up from selfish actions and desires, and we are freed for love of self and of others. So how do we do this? How do we really experience this kind of freedom that Christ gives us? We practice, practice, practice. But Paul says, don't worry, we're not leaving you alone to do this. The Spirit will lead you and guide you as you figure out how to live this Christian life. The fruits of the Spirit are like the scales that we practice, the rhythms that we clap over and over again, the pieces that we memorize in our daily walk with Christ that helps us when we finally get on stage. So that when we are out in the world interacting with others, when we perform our lives in the world and in our relationships, we are able to shine forth with the kind of love and freedom that God gives us. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Our children knew really well. I won't put you to the test. But they are joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm gonna say them again. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a beautiful way to live, but it is not easy, and it takes a lot of practice. I wish we were all born with a natural ability just to radiate joy, to offer peace in the face of violence, to be generous instead of self-serving, gentle in all things, kind-hearted with others. But y'all, I am raising a toddler, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I am here to testify that self-control is not something that comes naturally to human beings. We've got to be taught, and we've got to practice over and over again. We can't just read a scripture one day about kindness and then hope in the moment that we are faced with a difficult situation and all our instincts are telling us to be cruel, that we will be able to radiate kindness in our heartbeat. It doesn't work that way. We've got to practice it over and over again with each other. That's why we have each other in Christian community. It's why we gather together as a church family. It's why we draw on the great Christian traditions and practices of the centuries that help form us and the fruits of the Spirit so that we are freed up to radiate Christ's love in the world. These practices form us into people whose identity is in Christ Jesus. It's why we gather every week to worship God. We read scripture and remember God's story that shapes us. We pray together for the needs of our congregation and of the world. We sing the songs of our faith that form us. We gather around the communion table. It's why an intercessory prayer group meets here at the church every single Wednesday morning. It's why you go to small groups and Sunday school classes and United Methodist women's circles It's why we serve our neighbors. It's why we give of ourselves and our resources generously. And we remind each other to do it. We teach each other to do it. And we do it when we want to, and we do it when we'd rather not. We do this so that we become a people who aren't just following a set of rules without joy because we have to. I gave away 10% of my income. Check. I taught children Sunday school. Check. I sang in the choir. Check. I went to the food bank, check. Now, we do this so that we become people who are so shaped by our practices of a life in Christ that we can't help but radiate this kind of love and joy and live into these practices and all we do. I think about Yo-Yo Ma, that beautiful and brilliant cellist. There are many people who play the same pieces that he plays but he plays with such a radiance and a joy and a freedom about him. He practices and he practices, but he does this so regularly that when he performs, his joy can't help but take over. I'm never going to be that kind of musician. Most musicians are never going to be that kind of musician. But it is how I aspire to live out my Christian life, so shaped by the practices of faith, That when it's time for me to perform in the world, I am free to love over and over again. How do we experience this freedom in Christ? We practice, practice, practice. Sarah Miles is a writer who lives in San Francisco, and she began a slow conversion to Christianity as an adult, She writes about her conversion and eventually joining the Episcopal Church in a book called Take This Bread, which I highly recommend reading. Sarah Miles is a reporter, so she loves facts and figures and rationale. She fills herself up on questions and books and knowledge. Her deepest desire is to understand. She grew up non religious, practically anti religious. She was raised by parents who instilled in her the virtues of ethics and of justice and compassion, but they had no tolerance for organized religion. So she never stepped foot in a church as a child and into her adulthood not Christmas, not Easter, not ever. Most of her life, she remained skeptical and had no religious background or knowledge. But one day, she was going through a particularly difficult time in her life, and she took a walk through her neighborhood in San Francisco like she did every day before. This was a Sunday, and she walked by St. Gregory's like she had over and over and over again. But this day, the doors were open. It was a Sunday morning. She heard the music coming out, and for whatever reason, on that day, she decided to step into the sanctuary. She sat tentatively in the back, the priest was standing behind an altar table, one much like this. She had never seen a table like that before. She didn't know why he was standing there. She heard him start to recite some history about salvation from the very creation of the world to resurrection in Jesus Christ. It was history she had never heard before. And then he issued an invitation. He said, Jesus welcomes all of you to come to this table. You are invited, yes, you, to come to eat and to drink. So she came from her back pew, and she walked forward. She put her hands in front of her. She took a piece of bread, and she ate it, and she took that cup of wine, and she drank it. Something happened to her mind, body, and soul when she ate. She described it as being knocked over, This rational reporter couldn't come to terms with what was supposed to be happening, eating a simple piece of bread, taking a simple sip of wine, and then what her body was telling her. She felt like Jesus was real and tangible in her words and in her life. She couldn't explain it. In fact, she was kind of embarrassed and shocked and overwhelmed. She didn't want to tell anybody what had just happened to her. So as any good reporter did, she began to search for answers. She read the Bible, She read 2,000 years of theology. She asked questions of priests and of scholars and of church members. She devoured church history, hoping it would help her understand this food and this faith that she began to devour every single week. She read more about Christianity than most of us who have been born and bred. In the midst of these questions, she writes this, quote, "...all that grounded me were those pieces of bread." I was feeling my way toward a theology beginning with what I had taken into my mouth and working out from there. I couldn't start by conceptualizing God as an abstract trinity or trying to prove a divine existence philosophically. It was the materiality of Christianity that fascinated me, the compelling story of incarnation and its grungiest details, the promise that words and flesh were deeply deeply connected. Because once Sarah opened herself up to this experience, once she let that bread be her guide, the practice of communion, she did begin to believe. She practiced, then she believed. She practiced, then she performed her faith in a loving and transformative way. What unfolded for her is a remarkable story of starting a food pantry at her church, a place that feeds everybody in her community who may be hungry. And it's not just any food pantry. She doesn't call it charity. She calls it church. For as Miles came to understand and believe the Christian faith, she realized that the words that we say over and over again on Sunday morning are not and cannot be disconnected from every other day of the week. So she wanted church to happen every day through the sacrament of feeding people who are hungry. So she set that food for that food pantry right around the altar table, right in the middle of St. Gregory's Sanctuary, so that that table wasn't hers, it wasn't St. Gregory's, it wasn't the food bank. She said, this is Jesus's table, and Jesus's table is open to all. These are the words that she heard said on Sunday. So this is how she was called to live her life every other day of the week. Unlike most food pantries, she didn't ask for IDs or complicated paperwork. She says we lit candles and put an icon at the door, serving everyone who came without exception, just as we did during the Eucharist. This wasn't charity. It's church. Her pantry grew. Now there are multiple food pantries. She feeds hundreds and thousands of the working poor every week. Her faith Began to be tested though as the pantry grew and changed. She started to face bureaucratic roadblocks. As many of us know, church and government institutions can be hard to work with. Miles wanted to feed people, and her church and the government were giving her list of reasons why she shouldn't. She began to wonder if she should leave the church. She searched desperately for answers to deep theological questions. But do you know what she discovered? She discovered that faith wasn't about answers. It's about action, about concrete practices of love. And interactions in the food pantry, she found God. She writes this, I quote, My spiritual crisis returned me to the fundamental practices that had stayed central for me, such as just following what Jesus did, putting the word into action and ordinary life, unmediated by religious scripts, raised the stakes. Doing the gospel rather than just quoting it was the best way I could find out what God was up to. The beating heart of the story is that the face of the stranger is God's face and all people are one body, God's. When her faith was rocky, Miles put into practice the words of Jesus. She fed the poor and she befriended the stranger. She performed her faith in a way that showed radical love of self and neighbor every single day. She was set free. Last Sunday, you had a beautiful welcome reception for me in the Fellowship Hall for my very first Sunday, and it was there that I was able to witness the Feed and Seed ministry that happens here every single week at Sandy Springs United Methodist Church. For those of you who don't know, there's a community meal in the Fellowship Hall every Sunday from 1 to 2 for people in this community who are hungry. Anybody who wants to come and to eat can come and to eat. I'm so impressed by the volunteers who drive buses to pick people up who may not be able to walk here or take public transportation to be sure that they've got this safe and hospitable place to come. Volunteers who provide name tags and offer to serve food. It's an incredible witness of love. And you take Jesus' command to feed God's children seriously. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, you do this in remembrance of Jesus. When you feed someone who's hungry, Jesus says, you are feeding me. Because you have shaped yourself in the practices of Christian faith, this is one of the ways that you, Sandy Springs, are able to practice and perform your faith every single week. Different volunteer groups from around the community take turns to actually bring and serve the food every week, and next Sunday, it's our turn as Sandy Springs United Methodist Church to provide the food and to serve. It is a holiday weekend, as all of you know, in the midst of a holiday week, um, and so I hope that if you are present, you will offer to stay and to serve and to volunteer and to be part of this ministry. Um, it's also our turn in August, um, and when more people are in town, we're actually hosting a potluck your outreach committee and amber lee did that earlier this year but we're going to invite you to bring a dish and for all of us to sit around tables together uh, to eat with one another to get to know each other to hear each other's stories practicing for that vision of jesus's heavenly banquet table where all god's children feast together and nobody ever goes hungry again i hope you'll put your faith into practice with us one or both of those sundays We're going to hear a lot about freedom this week. My hope and my prayer is that we are a people who live into Christ's freedom, not just this week, but every day and every week and every year, practicing joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, even self-control. This is a freedom that isn't predicated on the oppression of others. It's freedom that is predicated on spreading love to every single one of God's children, our neighbors. Now, when we do this, we are going to fail over and over again. We're going to get so frustrated when our practice isn't going well that we may find we throw our instrument across the room and joy and gentleness and kindness explode to the ground But friends, the good news is that the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ is going to pick us right back up, and the Spirit will continue to guide us as we persist in Christian living, practicing together for that day when pain and mourning will be no more, and God wipes every tear from every eye. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's a gift to be and worship with you this day, traveling mercies and blessings on those of you who may be heading off for this holiday week. If you are in town, we'd love to see you back here next week for worship at 11 a.m. We'll be gathering around God's table here at the altar and think about who you may bring with you. As you go this morning, receive this blessing. Leave this place knowing and believing that in Christ we are set free, free to love ourself, and others by the fruits of the Spirit. May we practice the fruits of the Spirit early and often. Go forth with the peace of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www. Dot SSUMC.org. Dot Until next time, may God bless you.